Welcome. I'm glad you're with us today for this installment of uh, the Transformative Truths. I want to speak to you on the subject of uh, faith, love, and hope as it is found in the first epistle to the Thessalonians. We began last week a study of the book of 1 Thessalonians, and we will find ourselves in verses 2 and 3 today. He says, We give thanks to God always for you, all making mention of you in our prayers, remembering without ceasing your works of faith, labor of love, and patience of hope in our Lord Jesus Christ in the sight of our God and Father, knowing, beloved brethren, your election by God. For our gospel did not come to you in words only, but also in power and in the Holy Spirit and in much assurance, as you know what kind of men we were among you for your sake. We're going to look at verses 2 and 3. And as, notice in our, and as, as noted in our previous study, uh, beginning in verse 1, uh, we saw the planting of the church at Thessalonica in Acts chapter 17, 1 through 10. This was on his second missionary journey, and Paul and his companions had just left uh, Philippi, traveling through Amphipolis, or Am, Am, Amphipolis and Apollonia, and they arrived at Thessalonica, and Paul immediately located the synagogue and used their Sabbath gathering as an opportunity for evangelism. And for three weeks, we see in the text, he reasoned with the Jews, converting some and a number of prominent Gentiles. God was pleased to call them to belief, but unbelieving Jews soon caused a disturbance and forced Paul to leave. And as we noted, the epistle is commonly called 1 Thessalonians and was written not long after Paul left Thessalonica. It's probably from Corinth sometime in 50 to 52 AD that he actually wrote this letter. And what was the church at Thessalonica like? Uh, well, without Paul, did, did, the, did the young church survive is a good question. And had persecution discouraged the new converts? That's another good question. And these are some of the concepts and concerns that prompted Paul to send Timothy as you read in 1 Timothy chapter 3, or 1 Thessalonians chapter 3, look there with me uh, in verses 1 through 6, right here in 1 Thessalonians. He says, Therefore, when we could no longer endure it, we thought it good to be left in Athens alone, and sent Timothy, our brother and minister of God, and our fellow laborer in the gospel, to establish you and encourage you concerning your faith, that not one should be shaken by these afflictions. For you yourselves know that we are appointed for this, that is, we are appointed for affliction. For in fact, we told you before when we were with you that we would suffer tribulation just as it happened, and you know, and for this reason, when I could no longer endure it, I sent to know your faith, lest by some means the tempter had tempted you, and our labor might be in vain. But now that Timothy has come to us from you and brought us good news of your faith and love and that you always have good remembrance of us, greatly desiring to see us as we all see you. And so we, we see here why they sent, why he sent Timothy to them to minister to them. They're a young church and they're facing great persecution and affliction as believers. There were those who heard the message of Paul could not have disagreed more with it. 
and so they caused a great uh, insurrection. Well, Timothy brought back news that was clearly encouraging in Paul's opening remarks in this epistle we learn about their faith, love, and their hope. Their faith, love, and hope. And so we want to notice first of all that Paul gives thanks for their work of faith. Number one, their work of faith. Look what it says, we give thanks to God always for you all making mention of you in our prayers, remembering without ceasing your work of faith. Your work of faith. Now we're not saved by works. We're saved by a faith that works. We're saved by a faith that works. And so in other words, their faith was alive. Go over here to the right to James chapter 2. James chapter 2, beginning in verse 20. James chapter 2, verse 20. But do you want to know, O foolish man, that faith without works is dead? And then look for verse 26. For as the body without the spirit is dead, so faith without works is dead. So we're not saved by works. We're saved by faith. We're saved by faith that works. Okay? Uh, just go back to First uh, Thessalonians and, and go continue going to the left to Colossians. Colossians. It's right there before First Thessalonians. Colossians 1 verse 4, it says right here, Since we heard of your faith in Christ Jesus and of your love for all the saints. And so in other words, their faith was a faith that was alive, and their faith, was, their faith was centered in the person of Jesus Christ. Who's your faith centered in? Is it in the church? Is your faith centered in your testimony? Is, is your faith centered in what people say about you? Is it, how about, is your faith centered in your feelings? Well, what we find here in this text is that their faith was centered in the person of Jesus Christ. And it was likely prompted by love. Go, keep going to the left over here to Galatians. Galatians chapter 5 verse 6. It says, For in Christ Jesus neither circumcision nor uncircumcision avails anything but faith working through love. Okay, so it's not talking about religious activity, religious symbolism. It's talking about faith acting through love. I know folks that, and you know folks that have some faith, but man, you're wondering, where's the love? <laughs> where's the love in that person? Look over in John 14. John 14, verse 15. It says, if you love me, keep my commandments. And you say, well, wait, what's that got to do with it? Obedience, faith without obedience is not faith, because it's faith without love. Okay? So we're not saved by a faith that, that uh, by works, but that prove we have faith, we're saved by faith that is proven a, a faith that works, a faith that works. So we're not saved by works, we're saved by faith that works. And so in his second letter to them, Paul would remark about how their faith continued to grow exceedingly in Second Thessalonians, which we will do in a couple of months. We're just going to continue. He says in verse 3, We are bound to thank God always for you, brethren, as it is fitting, because your faith grows exceedingly, and the love of every one of you all abounds towards each other. What a remarkable testimony. And by the way, this was all taking place during the bright, 
hot heat of persecution. They were suffering. They were struggling. So they had a faith that was working. They had a working faith. But let me ask you this pastoral question. What about our faith? Specifically, what about your faith? What about your faith? Is your faith a living faith, a faith manifesting itself in obedience to the Word of God? Is it to all the Word of God or just parts of the Word of God? Uh, uh, or, or are we like some who believe but don't obey Jesus, uh, such as some of the Jew Jewish rulers who believed in Jesus? Look over in a uh, wonderful example of this is in the 12th chapter of John. John chapter 12, uh, verses 42 and 43, and then we're going to go to James. John 42, I'm sorry, John 12. If you find a John 42, please email me. Uh, John chapter 12, verse 42. It says, Nevertheless, even among the rulers, many believed in Him, but because of the Pharisees they did not confess Him, lest they should be put out of the synagogue, for they loved the praise of men more than the praise of God. Boy, I tell you this, there's nothing more evident than that today. I mean, you, you, can, even, you can even be a preacher and you, you talk about the wrong thing, and man, I'm telling you what, they, they, those, those folks will just raise their head, but God doesn't call us to convert them. He just calls us to be faithful to Him. Go over here to James chapter 2, after Hebrews. James chapter 2. If you hit 1 Peter, you've gone too far. First, James chapter 2, verse 19. It says right here, You believe that there is one God, you do well, even the demons believe and tremble. The other day I kept saying that was John 2, 9. It's John 2, 19. It's John 2, 19. So are we like some who believe but do not obey Jesus as some of the rulers, like the Pharisees, or such as demons who believe but they only tremble? Uh, is our faith strongly centered in Jesus Christ, a faith that produced, that is produced by the Word of God? Romans 10, 17, faith comes by hearing, hearing by the Word of God. Romans 10, 17, most quoted verse of my ministry. Romans 10, 17, faith comes by hearing, hearing by the Word of God. That's why we preach nothing else than this book. There's nothing else to preach but this book. Uh, a faith that leads to, to life in Christ Jesus. As it says over here in John, go back over here to John 20. You say, James, why are you making us turn to all these Bible passages? Because I want you to break in your Bible. It, do you realize how easy it would be for me and for the sake of time to print all these passages out? I, I, I used to do that, but I, th I think it is, I, you know, there's something about the sound of, of, of turning, turning through the Bible. And we want you to use your Bible. And, and you know, if you're using a digital Bible, then would you please point to John chapter 20, 30 through 31. It says, And truly Jesus did many other signs in the presence of His disciples, which are not written in this book, but these are written, listen, but these are written that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that believing you may have life in His name. Friend, let me ask you this. If our faith is like the faith of the Thessalonians, then it will too grow exceedingly and the evidence of our faithful service to the Lord will be seen. People will see it. As a recent message I shared on shining your light in a perverse and sinful generation, I'd, I talk about 
what the scripture mentions about murmuring and complaining. That's not a sign that you're a believer. That's, that's a sign that your faith at the most is immature. Um, the, the sign that we are followers of Jesus is that like the Thessalonians who were suffering tyranny, they were suffering tyranny both at the hands of the government and at the hands of the religious rulers. People that were claiming to be religious. These, they, these were Jews that Jesus wouldn't even recognize as Jews. Okay? We have people in Congress, people in the White House, people all over, people, pastors in churches. They, they claim this or that about Jesus Christ and, or, or religion. That's the farthest thing from the truth, and people believe it because they don't know the Word. But you know what? You're responsible for you. I'm responsible for me. Is our faith like that of the Thessalonians? Then it, and if it is, then it will too grow exceedingly evidenced by our faithful service to the Lord. I, I hope that when my kids, when they're old, 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 and they lay their old papa out there in the graveyard, I don't, I don't care if they put a marker on my grave. I just hope that they can, they can remember and tell their kids and their grandchildren that Dad was faithful. He just, he, 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 he was a lot of things. But one thing that marked his life, he was faithful. Uh, there, there, there's nothing, and, and then that, that'd be the last thing said ever about me. He was faithful. I hope that's how you feel. I, I hope that is what I can obtain in my life. If, if, you know, I was telling someone the other day that is having trouble in, in another church, I said, well, if you want God to change your pastor, pray for the one you have. And if you want to pray for me, pray for my faithfulness, that I'll, my faithfulness will be seen exceedingly. I'll be known as exceedingly faithful, and I promise you to be praying the same for you, and I can guarantee you this, that's exactly what Jesus is praying at the right hand of God immediately right now for you. And so Paul was also thankful for this. He was also thankful... Uh, not only that they're of their works of faith, but he was thankful uh, for their labor of love. Their labor of love. You see, they had a working love. They had a working love. A love that was not in word only, but in deed. Um, look over here at 1 John chapter 3. 1 John chapter 3 verse 18. Look what it says. My little children, let us not love in word or in tongue, but in deed and in truth. Let us not love in word and in tongue, but in deed and in truth. You see, it's a love that was not in word only, but it was in deed as well. And their love was directed towards their brethren in Christ. How do we know that? Colossians chapter 1 verse 4. They directed their love towards the brethren of Christ. That's, that's why it, it's so difficult uh, for many of us in Christ to see people say bad things about the church and about people that they go to church with that disappoint them or maybe have different politics. Uh, a, a, a dear brother uh, that I was visiting with yesterday that I love, and I told him how much I love him. Uh, he's, he's going through a hard patch. And uh, um, I, I explained to him my love 
for him and, and wanted to be an encouragement to him. And, and, and at the time of this taping, he is in a very, very difficult situation. And uh, I, t- I, I didn't ask him to tell me about it. I just told him I love him and I knew that it's, it's going to be okay and he would do what is right. And, uh, and I, I just believe that. And, and, and he said something back to me. It was amazing. He said, thank you, that means a lot. And, and uh, it should mean a lot that we love each other. It, it really should. And our love ha- should be a working love that, that is not in, just in word and with, with our mouth, but, in, with, with, uh, but labor. It needs it needs to be in deed and in truth, and and it needs to be towards the brethren of Christ. And Paul would later commend their brotherly love over here in chapter four. Look at verse nine. It says, "But concerning brotherly love, you have no need that I should write you. I don't need to instruct you in this." Paul said, "For you yourselves are taught by God to love one another, and indeed you do so towards all the brethren who are at Macedonia. But we urge you, brethren, that you increase more and more." Now, what is he talking about here that you increase more and more? I'm not sure if he's talking about, really talking about love more and more. I think through their love that they increase more and more the size of the church. That you also aspire to lead quiet lives, to mind your own business, and to work with your own hands as we commanded you, that you may walk properly towards those who are outside and that you may lack nothing. Boy, I tell you, I can't wait to preach that passage. You talk about relevant for today. Uh, but I'm, it's, it's, folks, it's going to be months before I get there. Those who know me so well know, oh, he'll, he'll spend an hour on a period. And so uh, we'll get there eventually on brotherly love and an orderly life. But the reality is Paul commended them for their brotherly love. And in his second later he, letter, he would remark about how their love continued to abound as we read a moment ago in 2 Thessalonians 1.3. But again, a pastoral question is required. What about your love? What about my love? What about our love? Is our love in word or tongue only, or is it indeed in truth? Or is it indeed in truth? Do we walk the walk or do we just talk the talk? When I was in high school, I never went to church. Uh, we watched Star Trek on Sunday. Um, I, I haven't quite broke the habit of watching Star Trek, but I don't miss church. Uh, and uh, I, I, I watch Star Trek other times. But that was just something my dad and I did. We, we loved that. Uh, and so we, we might be at church on Sunday morning, but Star Trek came on at 6 o'clock on Sunday afternoon. It was Star Trek Next Generation. I can't help it that the church foolishly decided that that's when they'd have the Sunday night service. So we didn't go. Now, Mom went. And then when I was in seminary getting my master's degree, my wife would go to church, and I'd stay home and watch Star Trek. I was training for the ministry. Okay, I mean, I kind of needed a Star Trek intervention, and uh, but but I remember being given a shirt by my former youth minister. He he's a pastor now, and 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 he's a great man. I, I wish I could be with him. I think he pastors in Lubbock. He he was a wonderful youth minister to me, though he 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 cared about me. But he gave me this shirt, 
And in the 1990s, fluorescent was all the rage. Fluorescent color, chartreuse, lime green, hot pink. That was, that was, those were the colors. I, I think those are maybe the colors today now here in 2021. But it said, do you walk, do you talk the talk or do you walk the walk? And that just still sticks with me today. And you know, that kind of curved my Star Trek watching and, and I got involved in youth group and all that kind of stuff. That simple thing, well, it's still a good question. I mean, it, it impacted my life. I mean, now I'm a minister. I mean, I have a master's degree and, and, a, and a, a more advanced degree than that. And, and I've, I've, I preach that this message is being cut on a day that's not uh, the day that it will be delivered. We've, we've been preaching for the last, I guess, two hours now. And uh, uh, the video recorder's over there going, mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, I've, I've got my cup of coffee here. I mean, it's, we're about done. But the reality of it is, is do you walk the walk or do you just talk the talk? I'm going to tell you something. Those in Christ can tell the difference. Those that God has caused to believe, they can tell the difference. And you know why? Because it, it has to do with the counterfeit. You're not trained in, in the business of counterfeiting by looking at all the counterfeits. You're trained by looking what's authentic. God doesn't call us to judge people, but we are fruit inspectors. And the only way, the manual to teach that is this. You can tell if a person has a biblical worldview or not. They can claim a Christian worldview and believe anything under the sun. If you have a biblical worldview, you can't claim anything under the sun. Uh, you can claim all the promises from the Son. They're yes in Jesus Christ. You can claim your eternal life through it. You can claim that God loves you. Every one of these promises are yes to you, even though you can't remember them. I sure can't. All of that's in there. Do you have a biblical worldview? You'll never walk the walk if you don't have a biblical worldview. But boy, you can talk the talk if you have a Christian worldview and don't read your Bible. You just go repeat what you heard the preacher say on the radio or the book that makes you happy of some heretic author. And uh, the reality, how would you say, James, that's pretty rough. Do you realize how much stuff is out there that is leading people astray? Look at our country. Look at the anemia that the church has. Where are the biblical preachers? Murmur, 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 we hear. Murmur, murmur, murmur is all we hear. Where are the biblical preachers? Where are the men and women of God, the men that stand up for God? And I say, well, I'm going to stand up for my country. Stand up for your kingdom, friend. Stand up for your God. You know, it says that when Jesus Christ returns, He'll come on a horse with a uh, swords drawn and the throngs of believers with Him. But do you know something? When it says that in Revelation, all those people that are coming with Him, when He comes with that sword riding on that white horse, not one of them has a sword drawn. You know why? Because the battle is the Lord's. It's His and He wins. And because He has won, we win. Amen? Amen. So, do you walk the walk or do you talk the talk? You can't do both. You either walk the walk or you talk the talk. Is our love directed towards our brethren in Christ or is it directed towards the world? Which is the mark of true discipleship? I want you to see this passage. Now, you know, the best way to read your Bible the best way to interpret what Scripture says is to use Scripture. Next door to me, just on the, well, yeah, just next door to me 
is about 90 feet of books if you stacked them from one end to the other. Uh, but I'm going to tell you what, and then, and then in my computer, which is sitting right here, I, I think I have, uh, I think 80,000 volumes through uh, my software program called Logos Portfolio. I, I couldn't read them in a lifetime. And, uh, but I, I have everything I could ever need. Um, but I'm going to tell you what, this is my point, not to tell you how big my library is, because uh, all that stuff just puffs you up. Let me, let me tell you what, the best way to interpret Scripture is to use the Scripture. And that's why we're turning. We're talking about this, the mark of a true disciple, go to John chapter 13. We're talking about what about our love? Does, is our love a love that works? Are we talking the talk or walking the walk? Let's interpret the Bible with the Bible. John chapter 13, verse 34 and 35. Look what it says, dear brothers and sisters. It says right here, a new commandment I give to you, that you love one another as I have loved you. Now, what does that mean? How did Jesus love us? He died for us. Okay, so that's, that means basically to lay our lives down for each other. Uh, it means to sacrifice ourselves for each other. And a new commandment I give to you that you love one another as I've loved you, that you also love one another. By this all men will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. Now go over to 1 John, which is the other way in your Bible. 1 John, after Peter. 1 John... It's right after 2 Peter, 1 John, verse 3 through 14. I'm sorry, chapter 3, verse 14. 1 John, chapter 3, verse 14. It says this, We know that we have passed from death to life because we love the brethren. He who does not love his brother, he who does not love his brother, abides in death. Look at verses 18 and 19. My little children, let us not love in word or in tongue, but in deed and in truth. Hmm, isn't that interesting? Paul says that and John says that. I guess that must speak to the inspiration of Scripture. And or by this we know that we are of the truth and shall assure our hearts before Him. Wait a minute. You mean to say, James, that the Bible says that if I have my love for my brother in word and in, in well, let's look at it again. Let us not love in word or in tongue. If I have my love for my brother, not in word or tongue, but in deed and in truth, this will give my, my heart assurance of my salvation before God? And the answer is yes. That's why he goes on to write over here in chapter 5, verse 13, I write these things that you may know you have eternal life. So if you have any question of your assurance of salvation, which is totally based on the security of the believer, assurance is an emotion, security is a fact, then you take this to heart. Uh, your assurance is going to be directly related to how you love your brethren. If you're one of these people that just don't love the brethren, you don't like the church, you don't go to church because somebody hurts you in the church, or there's people in church you don't respect and all that, well, I got news to you. I hope you don't get sick because if you go to the hospital, that's going to happen to you. Those nurses are going to hurt you. I just had hip surgery. They took, they just put a scope in my hip that big and another one and it's that big around is my thing and they stuck a needle in my, they hurt me. How dare they? That was two weeks ago from today. I mean, they did that to me. And you know what? There were people in there that maybe weren't so friendly, but you know what? Most of them were. Most of them were great. 
They, but, but you know what? If, if you cannot have the love for the brethren and you can't have the love for God's church, then you're not going to have security because you're not obeying the Scripture, so therefore you won't have assurance. And, the, and therefore when it says, I write these things that you may be know certain for eternal life, dear friends, you have no reason to feel certain at all because you talk the talk. You don't walk the walk. Okay? And again, we're talking about these Thessalonians. These Thessalonians are suffering. They're not suffering like we are here in the United States with with uh, all the shenanigans that's been going on here in January of 2021. They're, 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 there's blood in the streets in Thessalonica. There, there's kids being taken from their home. There are folks losing their livelihoods uh, and, and, and all kinds of things like that. Um, so what about our love? Are we walking the walk or are we just talking the talk? And uh, then there's something else we want to go to here. Um, notice your text. It says, well, as you go there, if our love is like that of the Thessalonians, then it will abound. So write that down. If our love is like the Thessalonians, it will abound. Evidence by serving one another in love. And I, I got ahead of myself. Look at Galatians 5.13. Galatians 5.13 says, For you, brethren, have not been called to liberty. Only do not... I'm sorry. Let me rephrase that and say it correctly. For you, brethren, have been called to liberty. Only do not use liberty as an opportunity for the flesh, but through love serve one another. Serve one another. How? through love. Why? Because you've been called to freedom. So there, works of faith. They had a working faith. Then we asked ourselves, well, what about our faith? Is it a working faith? Their labor of love. They had a working love. And we've, we've asked ourselves, what about our love? And finally, we note Paul's gratitude for their patience of hope. Number three, their patience of hope. They had a hope that give, gave them patience. They had a hope that gave them patience. Look at the text. Remembering without ceasing, verse 3, remembering without ceasing your work of faith, labor of love, and patience of hope in Jesus Christ and the sight of God and the sight of our God and Father. So they had patience of hope, a strong hope is that which gives one patience. Look with me at Romans 8.25. Romans 8.25. The Bible says right here, But if we hope for what we do not see, we eagerly wait for it with perseverance. But if we hope for what we do not see, we eagerly wait for it with perseverance. Their hope was likely focused on what was laid up for them in heaven, as it says in Colossians chapter 1, verse 5. Peter referred to this hope as an inheritance that is incorruptible and undefiled, that does not fade away, that is reserved in heaven for you. That's in 1 Peter chapter 1, verses 3 through 4. Paul would later encourage them in 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 8, to wear this hope as a helmet. Look what he says, but let us who are of the day be sober, putting on the breastplate of faith and of love, and as a helmet, the hope of salvation. The hope of salvation. 
So they had this patience of hope. They had this patience of salvation. Well, the last pastoral question then. What about your hope? What about our hope? What about my hope? Do we have a strong hope? A hope that comes from reading the Scripture as it says will come in Romans 15 chapter 4. Verse 4. Romans 15 verse 4. A hope that comes from reading the Scriptures. A hope that spurs us on to be diligent, living holy and godly lives as it says in 2 Peter chapter 3 verses 10 through 14. A hope that spurs us to be diligent, living holy and godly lives. 2 Peter 3, 10 through 14. A hope that prompts people to wonder why we have it. As Peter said in 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 15. Is our hope focused on our inheritance laid up for us in heaven? A city whose builder and maker is God we learn about in Hebrews chapter 11 and chapter 13. A new heaven and a new earth in which the righteous will dwell, as it says in 2 Peter chapter 3, which is beautifully described by John in Revelation 21, verse 7, verse 21, 1 through 7, which I want to read to you and share a story in conclusion. Revelation chapter 21. As you turn there, I'm going to wet my whistle. Excuse me. Revelation 21, 1 through 7. This is a very, very meaningful passage to me. Now I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and also there was no more sea. Then I, John, saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from heaven saying, Behold, the tabernacle of God is with men, and He will dwell with them, and they shall dwell with His people. God Himself will be with them and be their God. And God will wipe away every tear from their eyes, and there shall be no more death, nor sorrow, nor crying. There shall be no more pain, for the former things have passed away. Then he who sat on the throne said, Behold, I make all things new. And he said to me, Write these things down, words that are true and faithful. And he said to me, It is done. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. I will give of the fountain of water of life freely to him who thirsts. He who overcomes shall inherit all things, and I will be his God, and he shall be my son. It was 1991 on September the 29th. I believe it was a Sunday afternoon about 1.30, 2 o'clock, and I and a dear friend who is a surgeon were standing in the room 
and in that room was that surgeon's very best friend. And I was holding on to his best friend's feet because he was also my best friend, but he was also my dad, Jimmy Don Egan. I have now outlived him in age, in days. He was 48 years old. He was dying of lung cancer. We had already changed the heart-lung machine to just give him natural air like we breathe right now, knowing that this would cause his body to expire. And I was there and I was holding my own dad's feet, rubbing him. I love this man so much. And he died. I was at his feet when he died. And Dr. Gordon and I, we walked out I had to go tell my mother and my sister and all the people that were there and another one of my dad's best friend, his pastor, Dr. H.A. Hanks, my spiritual father. And I went out and I, I, I told, I was 19, and I told my mother, Dad is no more. He is gone. And of course, you know, they'd been married 30 years and you know, you know, we knew it was coming, but we, there's nothing that prepares you for that. And my pastor H.A. opened up this passage of scripture to Revelation 21. I didn't go to church a lot growing up. I mean, I started growing to church a lot more I've mentioned that maybe in this sermon or the one I preached earlier today. But I don't ever remember hearing the all things new passage in Romans, Revelation 21. And I remember when H.A. began to read this. Behold, I make all things new. And he said, it is done. I am the Alpha, the Omega, the beginning, the end. I will give to the fountain of the water life freely to him who thirsts and he overcomes shall inherit all things. And I will be his God and he shall be my son. The last four years of my father's life, and I think my father might even say this too, I think God did his work of salvation in him, although God had all the appearance, although my dad had the appearance of being a follower of Jesus. He was a well sought after th Sunday school teacher. He, he read his Bible, but it, it seemed like when he turned 44, something just changed. I mean, it, it, was, it was almost like I was living, I was a freshman in high school. I was living with a man that had been reborn. And don't you doubt it, he was my best friend in the world. I only know one other man that has a, has a relationship. Well, I really only know now one other man that has a relationship with his son like I had with my father, and that's my son's relationship with me. And that's something that I've inherited and I'm grateful for. And one day, he'll probably preach my own funeral, and he can read this passage to his mother if he's there holding my feet when I go, being at my feet, hopefully it's not soon. But what I want you to understand is this, I have without a doubt, without a doubt, 
these things that Paul talks to the Thessalonian church, I watched these things happen in my father's life the last four years. Jesus changed him. He became a man of faithful work, of labor, of love, and patient and hope. He was Irish, Irish like me, and, uh, and much, much more in different ways. He was a strong man. He looked like Ewell Brenner with hair. Uh, wasn't as tall as I was, but boy, he was, he was tough. But he loved the Lord. He loved the church. He loved the Word of God. He loved to love. He loved to be faithful. And he had the patience of hope, his salvation. And when my, my, the greatest legacy my father left me is that he left me knowing that he had gone to be the son, one of the sons of God in heaven. That I don't have to wonder where my dad is. My dad is in glory. And the evidence of his faith, the evidence of his salvation was his faith, his love, and his patience. His love, as, as I've shown you from here, it is our hope. Is, is our hope like that hope of the Thessalonians? If it is, then we need to wear this helmet protecting our minds from the distractions of this world. And folks, there are so many distractions. In the last four years of my dad's life, the distractions went away. He became single-minded. He'd sit there in his chair every night reading his Ryrie study Bible. He didn't watch TV. He read that green wiry study Bible every night. And then I have his, I have his Bible Bible, his other one. I have all of his Bibles, I think. And, uh, but I just want you to understand, put on this hope. Put on this helmet of hope. This triad of faith, triad, T-R-I-A-D, this triad of faith, love, and hope is a common refrain of Paul. He wrote to them in his epistle to the Colossians in Colossians 1, 4 through 5. He wrote it in the first epistle to the Corinthians in chapter 13, verse 13, but he likely first wrote it to them at Thessalonica. This is a common theme through the Scripture. And while, we don't, and while they do not constitute all the graces found in the Christian, which we read all the graces found in the Christian in Galatians 5, 22 through 23 and 2 Peter 1, 5 through 8, that's, that's all the graces that are found in Christians. They are certainly are among the most important. Now abide these things, faith, hope, and love, but the greatest of these is love, it says. They are found, where found, others will likely follow. So may the remarkable faith, love, and hope of the church of the Thessalonians, who were but recent converts, inspire us to grow in our own faith in Christ, our own love for the brethren, and our hope for the inheritance that is reserved for us in heaven. Amen. And amen. Father, I ask in the name of Jesus, you just bring these words of truth settled into our hearts. And Father, we would take away the meat of this text and apply it to our lives, knowing, knowing that this has not come to us in word only, but in power, in power through the Holy Spirit. And it comes with much assurance. And we ask you, Lord, to cause us to constantly 
review what kind of men and women are we amongst others for their sake. May we be found to be folks of remarkable faith, of love and hope, where we grow in our faith in Christ, our love for the brethren, and our hope for the inheritance that is ours in heaven. We ask this believing in the name of Jesus. Amen. God bless you.